0: Hey there, it's Dr. Karen Bellinger here, anthropologist, historical archaeologist, and wannabe time traveler. Welcome to Working Over Time, the podcast that examines society through the lens of work, over time, and across cultures. As our regular listeners will have noticed, our release schedule has been a little less regular of late. We've also switched up our format a bit as we continue to tinker with the old-time machine, growing and evolving the ways in which we approach the subject of how people make a living and why it matters through time and across the globe. We're living now in a time of unprecedented change in the work we do and how we do it. The pace of change is so fast, in fact, that we don't always need the historical lens that has been working over time's core perspective in order to see it. We're living it in real time. So, while our bread and butter is going to continue to be the backward glance we've honed since season one, we're thrilled to bring you the first of our Working Right Now series. And just like it sounds, it's an episode all about work. Well, now. Each Working Right Now episode will feature one or more modern workers in their industry, focusing as always on how individual job experiences both reflect and shape society and culture and of course we'll be peeking ahead to how or even if this kind of work might be done in the future we hope you enjoy it i am very excited today to be joined by a real life toy maker yeah it's kind of like a, a dream job i think for a lot of a lot of people and and i don't mean just kids <laughs> so um uh, it's bobby valla And Bobby, uh, I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about your company, first of all, and then maybe give us a little little quick history of your career that brought you to this point.
1: Yeah, Um, hi, Karen, thanks for having me on. Thank you to all the listeners listening. Um, Yeah, I I would say that toy designing, toy making is probably one of the most fun jobs. So my company, uh, Valiverse, Uh, Is producing my first line of collector based action figures. And the brand is called Action Force. And there's some history with uh, the name Action Force and how I brought it into the line. But it's basically, like I said, collector based, uh, six inch military esque uh, action figures, whole backstory, range of characters. The uh the line started out as a Kickstarter. So it was great that it was done by crowdfunding. I've always said oh, it. Oh, uh,
0: that's the awesome. Festival.
1: Yeah, it's great because you can see, you know, the the wants and needs of the fans like working right in front of you. So it's great to see that and and the, the desire that people have and the the support is is been overwhelming. So it's great that this this brand and this line was started with the fans and you know what, it's for the fans. And I've always said it, uh, you know, yes, I'm making this, this, this line, but at the end of the day, it's, it's for everyone. It's, it's not just for me. Oh,
0: It's so smart. I, I mean, you know, people talk about Kickstarters being a great way to raise money and I'm actually full disclosure. I ran a Kickstarter as well to launch um, an educational video game that I created some years ago. And What's beautiful about it is certainly not the money you bring in, although it's great. I mean, it costs a lot of money to run a Kickstarter, as I'm sure you are familiar with. But it's this really organic way of marketing from the inside out that I think you can't get to any other way.
1: Exactly, I couldn't agree more. Um, it's it's a it's such a, a useful tool, and it I I'm real big on fan engagement, consumer engagement, and. You know, my time spent with larger toy companies, we didn't really have that. So it's great to be being so engaged with the consumers and the fans now with my line because it was started with with them and it's for them. And I, I just love talking to people about it and, and seeing how excited they're getting and, you know, questions they have and things like that. It's it's it makes the, the designing the, the toys. All that much better, uh, knowing that that people really love what I'm putting together.
0: Oh yeah! And so, what kind of uh, you know backstory have you got to have brought you to this point of of running an obviously very successful Kickstarter to launch this line of action figures?
1: So it's been a pretty wild uh, roller coaster journey, I would say. Uh, when it all kind of happened, sort of some things by accident and and. It, Things just kind of worked out. But when I originally got out of high school, I wanted to draw comic books. So I went to illustration school for drawing comic books and went there and it's, comic books are a very difficult business to get into. There's a lot of great talent out there. So, you know, after school, I you know did the, the typical comic book grind where you go to the shows and you show your portfolio and you talk to editors, send samples of your work to Marvel and DC. And it was, you know, I got some small jobs here and there, but it was just a very, very hard business and a lot of work. And a, a good friend of mine from back home, his brother was a designer at Hasbro on the Transformers line. And he said, you know, because I was getting discouraged with, with the comic book industry and like breaking in because it's, it's all I wanted to do and it just wasn't happening. So my friend said, you know, why don't you, you know, contact my brother? Why don't you do some toy design? And I I never really thought of that because I was so into doing comic books, but I had been collecting toys since I was a kid and still did, you know, all my life. So I was like, oh, of course I would want to do toy design. So sure, that would be great. And I contacted his brother and right away he gave me some freelance work doing some some Transformers concepts, which was very cool. This was around 2007 when the first movie was coming out. And I was like, this is great. This is a lot of fun. And very shortly after that, he got me an invitation to a vendor fair at Hasbro. They had all their outside vendors, freelancers come in and you showcase your work and get to talk to the designers and meet them and try to get more work and and spread your name around. And literally the second I walked into Hasbro, I looked around, I said, I want to work here. Like, this place is awesome. Uh, You know, and it's a toy company. So of course it would be great. And I had done, you know, tons of of freelance work for multiple designers doing things like G.I. Joe, more Transformers. I think I did some Nerf stuff um, and some Marvel stuff when the the movies were coming out. And it was great. I I was having a blast, but I really wanted I wanted to work there. I wanted to be one of the designers working on this stuff. And, you know, my friend said, well, you know, you you probably have to go back to school. A lot of the designers from Hasbro Went to a program at FIT in New York City and got their degree in toy design. And at the there's time, there's such a thing. There, there is such a thing. It's only one. It's one of two schools. FIT was the first ever <sighs> school to give a degree in toy design. And then is another. It that
0: Fashion Institute of Technology?
1: Yep, yep. So I went to a fashion school for designing toys.
0: I love it. That's so fascinating. Well, that's its own story.
1: It is. It's a really funny story because I'm here. I am. I'm in my late twenties. Uh, I'm kind of. You know, rough around the edges, jeans and t-shirt kind of guy going to school with all these fashion-focused people, and I just look very out of place. It was just, <laughs> it was a really funny experience those those couple of years. Oh,
0: it must have been um, culture shock on all sides, but it, hopefully uh, in a really kind of um, productive, eye-opening way. I mean, yeah, those things work worked. mysteriously sometimes.
1: Yep. Um, so all right,
0: so you went you went through a fashion fashion institution to come out with your toy designing degree.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but I kind of had to go, like, I had to start all over and this was like, I didn't really want to go back to school, but I like, it was what I had to do to get to Hasbro. But when I went to illustration school, it wasn't like a college degree. It was just a trade school. So I kind of had to start all over from scratch, go get my associates, then get my, my bachelor's. And during that time, when I was getting my associate's degree, my friend contacted me and he said, Hey, we had an intern drop out. Can you come up here up to Hasbro for an internship? And I was like, uh, mm. I'm in school. Mm. Like, I, you know, <laughs> But I talked to my advisor and I, I told him, you know, about this, this opportunity. And he said, don't worry, we'll cover for you. You can't miss this opportunity. You go there do your work online. We'll make it all work. You can't miss it oh, on this opportunity. Oh my
0: gosh. That sounds like a, a very unusually accommodating institution. Yeah.
1: So I'm I'm in, indebted to him for letting me uh, do that because I, I feel like that really helped kind of solidify me working at Hasbro uh, later on. But I went and I did the internship and it was on GI Joe and GI Joe is my all-time favorite toy. So it was like amazing to do this. I had this awesome time. And then it also gave me this experience of working at Hasbro before I went to do my toy uh, design degree. So I I was gaining all this extra knowledge and then did my, my, uh, my program at FIT, did another internship at Hasbro during that time. This time I was on the Marvel brand. Then I graduated and the first job I got was at Fisher Price on Thomas and Friends. So it wasn't the tank
0: engine, right? Yeah, it it wasn't. That's a good old English brand, right? Is it big in the U.S. now? I I don't Uh, know. I live in the U.K. again, so I I don't actually Yeah,
1: it's big in the U.S. My son uh, watched it when he was little, Um, but it was, it wasn't what I wanted to do, but it was a a start, but it was kind of one of those things where I took the job, Hasbro called me, and they said, hey, we're going to have something for you, won't be ready for a couple months, so I was at Fisher Price just waiting for the, the Hasbro job to be ready, and as soon as they told me it was ready, Gave my notice, moved my entire life up to Rhode Island and uh, started full time at Hasbro, uh, which was obviously a dream come true for me to do that. Um, So, yeah, doing that was great. I started working on, you know, the Marvel brand and it was great because of all the movies coming out. Yeah,
0: What what characters did you work on for Marvel? My my daughter's an obsessive super fan. (laughs) She'll be thrilled that I had a a brush with your celebrity on this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, everyone's a Marvel fan nowadays, right? Um, even me yeah but when I when I first started there I think over the years I worked on every character but when I first started I did Spider-Man so I did Spider-Man for years which was really fun because he's a great character and they were doing an animated series and the second movie was coming out so it was very exciting to to work on Spider-Man and then I got to move over to you know Avengers and uh, the other characters and then the cool thing was is I got to work on the last two Avengers movies, which were the, the biggest of them, oh, wow! So that was really great to be able to do that. Guardians of the Galaxy was a blast oh, because so good, <laughs> those great. It I, it was fantastic. I couldn't uh, I couldn't have been happier with uh, my, my career there at, at Hasbro. Um, but unfortunately, all good things kind of must come to an end, I guess. So, in twenty eighteen, the end of twenty eighteen, they did a big massive layoff, and they they got they laid off over 500 people. And unfortunately I was, I was on the hit list. So oh, no. that was a bummer, but it was uh, you know, a blessing in disguise because it got me to think about, well, all right, well, what do I want to do next with my career? I want to stay in the toy industry and I want to just create more. And, you know, some friends asked me like, well, why don't you just start your own thing instead of going to work for another company? And, you know, I thought yeah uh, other people have done it but it was it was scary because it was you know you like the the stability of working for a company and having benefits and that sort of thing so
0: well yeah and marketing is is so expensive for toy it's a huge piece of toy making and and as an indie that's pretty daunting
1: yep so it was it was i was thinking about it for so long just like okay well if i did it how would i do it and the ball just kind of started rolling in my head and then uh I, I looked at it like, okay, well, as a big G.I. Joe fan, Hasbro really wasn't doing anything with G.I. Joe at the time, but I knew there was this need for a military genre action figure at the six-inch collector scale. And I, th- I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll go that route. And I started to come up with characters and a story. And then uh, a very good friend of mine, who was also laid off with me, he was uh, the head brand manager of G.I. Joe at the time. And he was in charge of basically renewing trademarks and things like that. And, he, you know, we would do our weekly lunch and he just kind of joked. He said, you know, you should look at abandoned trademarks and see if there's any, you know, rich historical names that, you know, are, are available. Because I was having trouble coming up with a name for the line. Well, kind of backtracking a little bit, when G.I. Joe came out in the 80s, it, uh, you know, it was very red, white, and blue. G.I.
0: Joe only came out in the 80s?
1: Yeah. 82. 80, well, it's
0: it so out, surprising the, actually. It just seems like seven. he's always been around.
1: <laughs> it was out in the sixties and seventies. Like my dad, he had the big 12 inch figures and then it kind of went away. But then in the eighties, it came out with the real American hero line with the smaller three and three.
0: That's why I'm played. remembering the early time, just yeah. dating myself there. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm not insane.
1: <laughs> so uh, there was a company out in the UK called Palatoi and they did a line of military figures called Action Force. And then uh, Hasbro ended up acquiring Palatoy and distributing G.I. Joe out in the UK under the Action Force branding because G.I. Joe was too red, white, and blue American for the UK, so they wanted to offer yeah, G.I. Joe. Yeah,
0: well, it's an American, yeah, it's American rank, everything. Yeah, right? yeah. so
1: Yeah, so they had to offer it as something more in line with the UK, so they kept it under the Action Force banner, and then eventually... Action went away and everything was just G.I. Joe after that, but Action Force had this rich history. It was around so long and it was so big out in the UK. And I didn't know about Action Force until my 20s because I saw these different looking G.I. Joes. And I was like, what are these? And I learned, oh, this is Action Force. This is what G.I. Joes were in the UK. So now fast forwarding you know, as a big Action Force fan, you know, because I started collecting them over the years, I thought, well, it. Action Force hasn't been around, and it's it's too bad because that that brand should live on. And I did some research, and the trademark for the name Action Force was available. Hasbro never renewed it, and it went abandoned in ah. 2005. So it was stay it was kind of dead for years. And I thought it would be very cool to almost reboot Action Force in a new way, and that's what I did. I, I purchased the trademark for Action Force, and that's what I called my brand and made a new story, new characters, but it has some throwbacks to the original Action Force line to pay tribute to, to that great history. And now here we are today, successful Kickstarter, successful line. Uh, the line is, is gonna be shipping out to everyone this spring. It's all very, very exciting. And uh, I've, I've been ecstatic the whole this whole process.
0: Oh, I love your story. It's, it's fantastic, actually. I mean, and it's got all these twists and turns. And, you know, (laughs) um, I I think that's so much the way we all need to think about getting to our ideal career, right, in this day and age. It's just, um, the world is so different than it used to be. But, oh, I love that. Um, and, you know, I, you've talked a lot about um, action figures and the wonderful stories that adhere to them and, and how that obviously is a, is a passion of yours. But I wonder if there were any other toys that really inspired you, um, you know, when you were a kid.
1: Absolutely. I, I would say that I grew up in the best time for toys. I know a lot of kids of the 80s think they had the best time for toys. Now, I was born in 82. But I was able to capture the era of the 80s and the 90s, which were fantastic eras for toys and content as a kid. I had G.I. Joe, I had Star Wars, I had He-Man, Thundercats. Then in the 90s, you had X-Men and Batman, the animated series. And it it was, the content was amazing. You Ninja Turtles. So as a- Oh, Ninja Turtles. Yes, my brothers were obsessed with the Ninja Turtles. I think everyone (laughs) was. Ninja Turtles was huge. Yeah. But it was it was such a great time. And I think there were only a few lines I didn't collect, but I pretty much had it all. Um, you know, I, I had a lot of older brothers. So things got passed down to me. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. But, you know, when I got toys, it was great or find them at garage sales and things like that. So like I just had toys from from every genre, great childhood stories and memories of of collecting toys and experiences with toys. So it's it's great that I ended up in this industry because it, it started off so well for me as a kid, you know, loving toys as much as I did.
0: Oh yeah. And, and so, so I I have to wonder, um, even though no matter what it is you're doing in a business to do with toys, when you love toys, it's going to be a good day in the office. But I have to wonder, you know, how your um, time and your kind of mental energy is divided between, you know, actually toy making, you know, tinkering and that sort of thing versus, you know, running your business.
1: Oh, it's a it's a juggling act. And it's kind of one I had to learn on the fly. When I was a designer at Hasbro, I just knew like I had to design the product. And yeah, there was a lot more to it. I managed the brand. I worked with my colleagues over in China, looking at prototypes and making sure that the the item functioned. And so I managed the product. But once I started my company, I had to cover every end of it. And, you know, I didn't know anything about starting a company. So I literally, had to go and take a, a a class and meet with someone about starting a small business and figuring. I was like, "Well, what do you have to do?" I didn't know what a, an employee. Well, you're smart to learn. do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I hear you. I did that with my with my games company, and I, I still um, to feel like there's a lot more I could have done to prepare myself to run the business side of things well. Wow, so good for you. <laughs>
1: oh, I hear I hear you. It's a lot, and it's like there's no book on it. Well, I'm sure there is a book on it, but you kind of just have to, you know, learn by by doing, and that's what I did. I just sort of kind of figured it out on the fly and just hit the ground running. And yeah, the Kickstarter, it was nerve-wracking. You're dealing with hundreds of thousands of people's dollars. And yeah, you know, <laughs> you have to get the the line produced, you know, and 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 work with a factory over in China and and get it all going. So there was a lot to it. But then on the other side of things, there's, you know, there's you know the running a company and paying taxes and you know looking at all your expenses and making sure you're, you're profitable. And now, now I'm in the process of looking at office space. So there's Ooh. that, uh, which is really, really exciting. Really exci- <laughs> it's very exciting, um, you know, but then there's, you know, dealing with getting the website done and, you know, how do you keep your consumers engaged with your content while they're waiting for the figures to be produced? So I started a line of comics to tell the story. And I had the online store, and we have t-shirts and prints, and that's where the comics are being sold. And it's been so much. And then, you know, just marketing-wise, like I had to figure out like marketing the whole company in the line because I wasn't a marketer, I was a toy designer. But I, I started doing very viral social media-based marketing, and it's worked incredibly well so far. And you know, uh, I've made some really good strategic moves by getting, you know, a celebrity like Sergeant Slaughter in the line. And Having that be a huge propellant to making the line from this niche thing to now this uh mainstream sort of uh brand that is well known now so it's it's been it's been really wild and and just learning all these aspects of it, but it, at the same time it's been great to like know that like now I have this knowledge of building a business
0: oh it's incredible and and yeah i mean i I think what just what Comes out from everything you just said is yeah there are all of these administrative um, wheelhouses that you need to master, but if you don't have marketing down, you might as well not bother with anything else because that that's really the issue and I, I think yeah your Kickstarter obviously gives you this incredible organic ground to grow from so that that's really that's really awesome
1: yeah the 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 marketing aspect of it has been very intriguing to me just because you know i'll think of a very strategic move and i'm like oh that's a good one you know and just the way it all kind of came together and i'm i'm like wow this is you know this is cool and i'm like well you know i'll probably never go and get my MBA, but the idea of it is is cool um and having the experience to to learn marketing on the fly um you know i won't know all of it but i feel like I've, i've done a pretty decent job so far of uh you know, uh, building awareness of of the brand and getting it out there. And, uh, you know, I work with wholesalers all over the globe, not just the country. I have uh, companies I work with in uh, Ireland and the UK and Australia and China, they're all carrying action force. So it's, it's getting out uh, to everyone around the world. And that's
0: Phenomenal. And, you know, you're, you're honestly, I I just, I mean, I don't know, I don't have an MBA either, and I have no desire to go and and seek that (laughs) for lots of reasons. But I also have to wonder whether the, you know, traditional case studies that they teach you, traditional marketing is actually really as relevant as it used to be. I mean, it's all about um, storytelling now and buy-in of your audience and, and speaking to them you know, in a way that is integrated with your content and your brand identity, it's, it's, unless you've got $300 million to spend on, you know, pre-holiday ad campaigns, Yeah. you know, you, you really have no other choice. You, you have to get out there. And as you say, um, get into the viral systems and, yep. and that's, yep. I don't know that they can teach you that ability to tell the right stories at business school. I mean, only you know your brand the way you do. I
1: I agree. Um, And the other thing was I wasn't on any social media before I started my company. I was very like anti-social media.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that makes it a little tricky. (laughs)
1: So then like getting on social media, it was like, wow, like this is a whole new experience. But my friend was like, you picked it up really quick and you've done crazy things with it for someone who wasn't on Facebook and Instagram two years ago.
0: I've got to check out all of your social media sites now. I'm totally fascinated by the way you have. No, well, I look, I mean, I see myself fundamentally as a storyteller and that's how I frame all the work that I do and, you know, kind of communicate it on to whatever the audience is at a given time. And I mean, that's, I would say you're as much a storyteller as you are a toy maker and the toys that you make. Are indivisible from the stories you created around them. I, I think it's it's really powerful. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised you've been so successful already. Can't wait to see where you end up.
1: Thanks. Yeah, stories definitely important because I knew when I created the line, I didn't want it to just be, you know, just figures. Like, yes, the the action figure, the toys are what are are, are the catalyst that drives everything. But I knew that there was so much more content that you could tap into, and it's crazy to think that even now. talking to people about you know a movie in the works and even that is mind-blowing to me yeah that's that's been some exciting news that just happened over the last couple of of months and i was talking to my partner today and every time you know he he calls me i get excited because it's it's always like great news oh this this director wants in oh we're you know this this studio is loves the idea of it so Oh I'm, my
0: gosh! Fingers crossed for you. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's still very surreal to me because I'm just like, wait a second. I'm just making toys here, and you know, like, no, me-
0: you're not. No, you're not. You've no. made it very clear. <laughs> yeah. You're very self-deprecating. You but- <laughs> you are making toys. You're doing it very well, but you're doing it in an authentic way that obviously is resonating with people.
1: Yeah, I guess so. And you know that that it's you know sometimes I'm I'm working so hard and I don't stop to like enjoy moments sometimes. And, you know, uh, my partner called me earlier, right before we got on here and he said, okay, you know, we have a call set up tomorrow with the director who wants to direct the movie. And I was like, wow, like that's really <laughs> happening. Huh? Um, so it's just like, it's still not all real to me. Like the fact that all this is happening. Um, but it at the same time, I, I, I'm just amazed that it is, you know, just a, you know, figure line and a couple of comics. And the story that I'm telling people are so into that they want to make a movie about it. So that's- Well, it
0: is all about point. the story. That's great. And I don't actually, you know, I think one could maybe say, well- if you package these action figures with their own story, does that kill the creativity of the kid who takes them home and plays with them? And that's absolutely not. I mean, you know, you, you get all sorts of um, user generated content effectively. Right. Um, but I think giving them something to start from is, is really aspirational and, and yeah. And I, and I think that's a, that's a, a deep, kind of vein that you see in all of these toy lines that you're talking about and that I remember too from, yeah. from when I was a kid.
1: Yeah. And that's the great part about it all is how well these brands have survived and we as kids who grew into adults kept them living on. And the the collector community like yes, the, there's the the kid aspect of selling toys in Walmart, Target. Mine is more focused towards the adult collector, but the adult collector community and consumer is such a big part of toy making now, which is interesting because when I first started at Hasbro in 2012, it, it was there, but it wasn't as prevalent. And now it's with all the Marvel and Star Wars movies, it's grown. And now these, the, the collectors who are in their, their 30s and 40s who were kids in the eighties, nineties are having kids now and passing it down to their kids in a way. So,
0: yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful rite of passage. That's a win-win all around. I mean, yeah, uh, I, am, yeah. you know, speaking of, of um, story franchises and, and associated films and all of that. I mean, one of my great successes in life is raising three rabid Star Wars fans, <laughs> <laughs> just like my, just like me.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, my my son's a big Star Wars fan. And it when I see him like get into Star Wars, it like almost like brings a tear to my eye because I think like going back, watching Empire Strikes Back over and over again as a kid. Oh
0: my gosh, yes. And you would go, well, you know what? I saw Star Wars, A New Hope with my father at the age oh, of wow. seven in the movie theater when it first came out.
1: Wow, that's awesome. And, uh-huh. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Hmm. yeah my my son's a little a little young he's only four so he's not ready to watch his hand chopped off yet or anything like that
0: right no that'd be a bit much (laughs) yeah
1: but I can't wait till it's it gets to that point where we can do marathons and I'm like hey bud let's watch all three Star Wars movies because there's really oh that's what we do
0: every Christmas my family we sit and we watch and yeah
1: yeah it's awesome
0: it's awesome so Bobby tell me what would you say, are the tools of your trade? And how, if they have changed over time, have they changed, you know, during the course of your career?
1: They, they definitely have. And, you know, I think every kind of generation sees that that uh, that changing of the guard period. So I saw it a lot when I went to illustration school for comics. And at that time, you know, we were Comics were done all by hand, you know, you draw them by hand. And when you color them, you use watercolors and you color them by hand. But when I was there, digital coloring using Photoshop to color comic books was just starting to happen. It was starting a oh, wow, to be- huge shift, right? Yeah. And that was crazy to see that shift and also very overwhelming to like, wait, I gotta learn a computer program. This is crazy. And yeah, then and it's
0: not the simplest. I know enough you know, to be dangerous
1: with Photoshop. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so so learning that was, was hard to learn. And then even when you look at that same kind of time in the toy industry, things were like, for instance, when you design uh, an action figure, you then have to sculpt it and make a 3D version of it. And back then, you know, or I should say everything leading up to about 2010 was done. They would use wax or castelline. it was like a you know like a hard wow. clay kind of kind of material and it was all done by hand but now even
0: in 2010 wow
1: in 2010 I worked on a bunch of that things seems
0: that seems crazy, crazy. Wow. yeah
1: and then but at the at that time they were starting to transition over to using zbrush when rhino to sculpt things digitally and so I got to see sort of that change, that technological change in comics years before, and then I saw it again in toys and and product development later on then as well. And then even the funny part was when I went to do my first internship at Hasbro, I'll never forget this, I never used what's called a Cintiq. A Cintiq is basically a computer screen that you draw on. And I didn't really use Photoshop all that much. I just did everything by hand because that's how I was taught. So I get to Hasbro and they give me, they sit me down in front of a Cintiq and they give me this stylus pen. I'm like, oh, go ahead. I said to my friend, I said, I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, all right, here, let me show you. And he gave me a real quick tutorial about, you know, how to draw and and create in Photoshop on a Cintiq. And now the Cintiq is all I use. Like I haven't drawn traditionally on paper in years. And my Cintiq is... I couldn't live without it. I, you know, that's all, that's all I work on. So I'm always doing everything digitally, making comments digitally. So it's, it's kind of that now. And now I'm just like, okay, well, I got to see it change over now everything's digital. I'm just like, well, what's next? You know, it makes you wonder what, what the next thing is. But right,
0: Doesn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, can <laughs> you imagine, can you kind of futurize a little bit? I mean, what do you imagine?
1: probably be virtual reality you'd probably start creating virtually that if i had to guess like where mm-hmm. it might go that's probably where it would go but who, so who have wants?
0: creation tools that create something that you could maybe visualize in 3d virtually like yeah. with those goggles or something yeah
1: yeah it's it's oh, very possible cool. um you know we might be a long way off but it'll be cool to see it one day but the, the good thing though is it hasn't taken over everything. Like, for instance, when I was creating the action figures, uh, you have to create what's called a paint master. And it's basically a prototype of the action figure that you send to China for them to map the, the painting scheme and colors. So I had to hand paint all my prototypes and send them over to China. So, so well, that's, that sounds
0: fun. That's <laughs> that sounds actually fun. really fun.
1: <laughs> it's a lot of fun. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually like looking at my the, the first series of prototypes, paint masters that I have. And I just ordered some resin parts that'll be getting, I think, next week because I'm going to be starting series two, and I'll have to do the paint masters for that. So uh, there's still some stuff that has to be done by hand, which is great because uh, the hands-on stuff is really fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I write fiction, and um, I have to say it—it it actually is a very different experience. Although maybe it doesn't sound like it should be, but. Um, typing up a draft on the computer versus handwriting and I, I mm. almost always start by hand even now it's it's funny it's a very different um, way in which yeah. story flows for me so I, I can I don't know I, I wonder if it's like that a little bit for you you know working on a um, a paint master versus a screen a Cintiq
1: yeah yeah there's it's it's definitely different um, you know but I, I wonder sometimes like well when will that go away? Like, you know, like I think of my son and I'm like, will he learn cursive writing. I, you know, cursive writing isn't really a thing anymore, but you know, there's people that still use it, but I don't think it's used by a younger generation. So I wonder if there's things like that, that one day will just kind of go away. I
0: can't remember how to do it anymore. Uh, You know what? I was trying to actually write something in cursive because I wanted to write, like my, my brain was going faster than my hand. And I like, physically couldn't, I mean, I could sort of, but it was, I kept breaking into, it was so weird.
1: Yeah, it's very, very weird. I tried it. Uh, Me and my wife kind of joked about it and seeing if we can remember how to write in, in cursive. Um, I have terrible handwriting as it is, so it's, Uh,
0: yeah. Oh yeah. It's really interesting. All that. I mean, it's just all of these different ways of working in any industry. I mean, it it just goes to show you, they do remake your brain, you know, and, and change the synapses and, and, and how all those signals travel. Definitely. So if somebody were to come to you and say, you know, I really want to be a toy maker, what would your advice be?
1: I would say it's like anything. You you want to be a sponge and you want to soak up knowledge. I, uh, I I so so I might tangent for a bit, but it it's relevant to the story. But in with kickstarters in from about 2013 to 2016, there was this uh, influx of of toy based kickstarters. And that's because there were a couple successful ones that happened early on in 2013, 2014. And then people thought like, that's, a, that's cool. Like, I think I can do that. And a lot of people that didn't have knowledge of consumer products or the toy industry thought that they could, they, they could make toys and that it was, that Kickstarter made it seem like it was an easier process. And then a lot of those Kickstarters during that time failed or didn't deliver and you know the people working on them just had trouble doing it because they didn't have the knowledge to do it. And I think going back, like that's, if, if you wanna learn an industry, you should really like, learn every aspect of it. And I think that the way to learn every aspect of something is you have to go to the people that came before. Now, when I was, during my first internship at Hasbro, I talked to a lot of kind of the, the, you know, the old timers, the guys that have been there for 20 plus years and, you know, have have literally done everything and every experience. And I, I asked them question after question, after question, they probably were so annoyed uh, with me.
0: I think they probably loved it actually.
1: Yeah, maybe they did. Um, But I just looked at it as like, when am I going to get this opportunity to learn this? So, you know, when, when I was there uh, at Hasbro, we, the, the FIT program would come to visit and we would give presentations. And the presentation I always gave was about your internship. When you're there, talk to the designers and learn everything you can. Even if you think it's the, the, little, my, the most minute thing, learn it or ask a question about it because it's, it's only going to benefit you. And you know no, no question's wrong. So to me it's like if you're going to get into something like learn everything about it learn you know how cuz toys aren't just you know made here toys are made overseas so there's this aspect of creating it here from your brain doing it digitally creating paint masters that sort of thing and then sending it over there and then when it goes over there you still have to manage that process cuz they're creating the prototypes And they're sending you samples and you're like, well, no, this doesn't work how it should. We have to fix this. And then, oh no, this colors off. And you're constantly managing the product as it's going through its production phase. And then it's getting it, then it comes back here and then it goes out to all the consumers. So it's this, it's this process that spans continents. And it's
0: incredibly complex, actually. I, I mean, and, you know, listening to you go through this, you know, sprawling value-added chain, basically, right? Um, I, I just think about what kind of contrast there is between, you know, what you're doing in this modern toy industry yeah. versus, you know, the village toy maker who's sitting carving <laughs> things out of wood and putting, you know, one-offs in his shop window. Um, you know, yep. obviously, that's obsolete, pretty much. I mean, I think even from my basic understanding, but please correct me if I'm wrong, um, even the the sort of um, artisanal toy making now is still on a mass production scale, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Dealing
0: with all of these um, exchange networks, and, and it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But it's also, there's also a lot of cooks in the kitchen, you know, like you can't, you can't have a successful toy line without, you know, think of it like a, a, a really high-end like French restaurant that has all their different cooks in there doing all the different aspects of it. So it's like, I'm managing that whole kitchen. So I don't do the sculpting. What I do is so I, I design the figure, I draw the figure. Then I have to hire a sculptor. They have to sculpt it digitally in 3D. Then I have to hire a, a person to 3D print it and then mold and cast the resin parts. Then they come back to me. I hand paint them. Or sometimes you can hire someone to hand paint them. So there's all these different levels of people involved in creating a toy. And that's the, the, the crazy part is you get this one item, this one action figure you can hold in your hand that so many people have had a hand in creating. That's the very cool part about it.
0: Oh, it is. I love that. It takes a village to raise an action figure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I think of it like a like a plastic onion because there's there are <laughs> layers to that that item. Many layers to that item. So,
0: Bobby, where where could we get these action figures? Um is there is there any place you would direct us to to sort of find out how to do that?
1: Absolutely, and thank you for asking. Um All of the the Series 1 Action Force items, the figures, the accessory packs, all that that great stuff that's in Series 1 is currently available for pre-order right now. It's going to be shipping this spring, so there's still time for you to order any of the items in Series 1, and you can do that by going to valiverse.com. There's links all over the website uh, for pre-ordering the action figures. Uh, it will then send you to a, a third party site where you actually place the pre-order for the items. Okay. But if you, if you miss out and um, in, the, in the spring when all the Kickstarter fulfillment is done, I will have uh, the figures up on the Valiverse site as well. So don't worry about missing out on them. They will be available. Everything will be easy to get
0: so exciting so we're right at the beginning here we, we yeah. can be sort of founding owners of these fabulous games and toys yeah. i love it
1: yeah and uh be sure to follow uh all the social media you can go you can find it all uh just follow valiverse uh, and how Instagram. do you
0: spell it v-a-l-a-v-e-r-s-e that's right all right valiverse.com And Valiverse on all major social media platforms. Yep,
1: so I'm always putting up uh, updates of when things are coming out, new things I'm working on, sneak peeks, that sort of stuff. So it's always up on Facebook, Instagram, the YouTube channel. So there's always a a ton of content I'm putting out uh, to keep people uh, engaged and ready for when uh, series one gets here.
0: Oh, fantastic. Bobby Vala, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been such a cool peek behind the curtain of the modern toy-making industry.
1: Thank you. The pleasure was all mine.
0: For decades now, the independent toy maker has been eclipsed by corporate toy marketers in a position to fund defense department-sized ad budgets across print, radio, TV, and today, of course, the internet bannerscape. My conversation with thoroughly modern indie toymaker Bobby Valla gives me hope, though, that this hopelessly stacked landscape is shifting, finally. As savvy small operators are finding ways to harness the power of story to hook and retain players, and to build authentic grassroots fan engagement through the leveling effects of social media and the internet more generally, which is a two-way communications channel, after all. This is surely good news for players everywhere, from the smallest child to the youngest at heart, kidult. Thanks for listening.
1: Hey there. You can follow Bobby's incredible work at the Valaverse on Instagram and valiverse.com. That's V-A-L-A-V-E-R-S-E. And if you haven't followed us at Working OT Series on Twitter yet, I don't know, consider it. It's a good time. As always, thanks a million for listening. Until next time. Working Overtime is part of the Little Fire Podcast Network and is made in collaboration with past preservers. Today's episode was recorded live across the globe over Zoom. It was produced by Karen Bellinger, Nigel Hetherington, Aidan Law-Liberty, and Raz Cunningham. Our director was Raz Cunningham.